Hi there, my name's Allison, and I'm very, very excited for today's size section guest. Joining me, I have Morgan Pope, a research scientist with Walt Disney Imagineering's research and development team, where he works on projects including Stuntronics, which is essentially an advanced aerial acrobatic robot. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me this morning. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, we're excited to hear from you. So just to get right into it, as a part of the Disney family, your work is very interdisciplinary, um, even going beyond combining different sciences like comp sci or physics or engineering, you even incorporate storytelling. So how would you say this aspect of storytelling is integrated into your work? Well, I think that's one of the reasons I love this job as opposed to any other kind of robotics job that I could have is because story is so integrated. It's interesting, of course that's fun creatively, um, and I've been really lucky to work with some fantastic creative leads who are very generous in allowing me to uh, be part of those conversations, and I, I love that. But I think it also, storytelling as a focus gives you some really cool technical opportunities. So the fact that we're telling stories um, allows us to do different kinds of robotics. Uh, most of the rest of the field is about performing a specific function, and um, it's not as critical that it has a certain look or a certain emotion. Um, but that is all of what we're trying to do, is create a, a feeling, an image, a sensation, and that is pushes you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. So for instance, I mean, Stuntronics, um, there's not really a good reason to throw a robot 65 feet in the air unless you're trying to provoke emotion. Um, I think the fun part about that is I get to explore um, different parts of the robotics world um, because it has to have a different focus. So you get to do kind of new fun stuff, not necessarily because it's impossible or hasn't been thought of before, but because you have a different context, because you're trying to, do a you're trying to achieve a different goal. And so that's, I think, one of the best parts of this job. Wow, that's so awesome. Like, I really like to hear from everybody during all my interviews about like combining different branches of knowledge. And it's really interesting to see how everybody's job kind of does that a little bit. You touch on different things besides your one title. Yeah, I think that's also why I like being on the research side, because when you're doing something in the early stages, you do get to touch a lot of it. You know, as things get you know, as we get more developed with the project, you bring on specialists and the, the work gets bigger and you have to subdivide it, you know, among mechanical and electrical and uh, programming teams. But when you're starting out with just an idea, you get to touch all of those aspects. You get to touch the, you probably get to write, do a little firmware and you probably get to maybe solder together something and you get to do the basic mechanical design. And then at Disney, you also get to do a little bit of how does this look good? How does this tell a story? Um, and so I love that. That's my favorite because it feels so um, authentically creative and it feels so holistic. Um, that's, I, I feel like that's uh, the, probably one of the main reasons I love being in research. I love the idea of delivering things directly in front of guests, but, um, and that's something that when you're in research, you're a little bit farther away from. But the, the, one of the big benefits is just being able to be fully integrated into a project at the early stages and really kind of use all of the sides of yourself, all of the things that you've been trained to do. Wow. And then, like, as someone who doesn't really know too much about physics and engineering, I can only imagine how much goes into making those, like, really intricate actions. So can you describe just some of the science behind these robots? 
Yes, and actually, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, and it's so much. We actually found something really great in the way in the way that three D objects travel through space. So, um, in general, uh, we as humans have a reasonably good idea of what's going to happen in a in a two D rotation. So, and we actually use this a lot in in Suntronics. So, the, you know, if you sit on I'm actually on a swivel chair right now. If you spin and you throw your arms out, you slow down, or if you tuck them in, you'll speed up. Um, like a figure skater, right? Like a figure skater. And that's, that's something we all kind of understand. That's about your, basically your angular momentum is conserved. And then you can change your moment of inertia, and that changes your angular rate. But then things get really interesting, actually, when you start going into, if you're rotating in more than one axis. So if you're starting to rotate, you're doing like a big flip, but then you also start to add some twist. Well, now twist couples into yaw, and then a lot of really fun stuff can happen. Um, so for instance, one of my favorite little things is uh, if say you're doing a big front flip and you have your, your big front flip, you're all stretched out, you throw one arm down. If you weren't doing a front flip, you can imagine like you throw one arm down, the rest of your body has to react a little bit. So it's going to, it's going to tip a little bit to react to that motion. So you need a little bit of a tip. What that, what that does, if you look at the physics, it's actually not that, it's a fairly simple equation, but just a really surprising result, is that if you're doing this big front flip, you throw your arm down, you tip a little bit, and suddenly you're going to also be twisting. And so... Oh, okay. Because of that tip. Mm -hmm. it's, it's basically, it's conserving angular momentum again, but uh, in 3D, you also have to preserve the direction of the angular momentum. So when you tip like this, the direction's wrong, you need to add a little bit of twist in order to get it back to the right direction. Um, so it's all vector math, and it's it's not that hard to do the math. But then the result is really surprising, right? Like you just you don't expect that you can be doing a front flip and without pushing on anything, without touching anything, you can suddenly be doing a bunch of twists as well. And um, that that's kind of the fun part. So that's this kind of falls out of uh, the dynamics. This really neat. When things are spinning in the air, um, kind of weightless, they do all sorts of fun stuff. And stuff that you wouldn't necessarily intuit, but that looks really cool and has a bunch of this twisting, curving motion to it. And so in robotics, you know, we're always trying to jump over that uncanny valley of something that is uh, that looks human or alive enough. Um, and a lot of times what that means is we have to add more and more actuators to try and simulate uh, the, the idea of aliveness. So, so our best animatronics, some of our best animatronics in the park have dozens of actuators in the head alone just to try and jump over that, to give you enough resolution to see, to make it feel alive. Our robot, um, because it's moving fast and it's doing this big parabolic arc, and because of these really cool things that fall out of the dynamics, you get all this really nuanced, fun, complicated motion uh, that, that really, I feel, makes it seem like it's a living thing. Um, and so that's sort of the, the fun thing, that the physics thing, the, the gift of physics that we're leveraging on this project is this kind of, um, is the way that when things rotate through space, they are both counterintuitive and surprising and beautiful. Wow. Yeah, I always love, um, like, that's why sometimes math can be so interesting. Like you said, it can be super simple, but then the applications of it just are really astounding. Yeah, exactly. And then um, going back to like, you talked earlier about um, the early stages of building these robots. And so you've had to go through many, many prototypes. I read that there was a project called Brick, then Stickman, all growing up in complexity up to Stuntronics. So what were some important things that you learned in those early stages that contributed to the robot's current model? 
Well, I say maybe at a high level, just the fact that there are stages is a big lesson. Um, I think that the culture in the research and development department is very much like it's great to have an idea, and um, sometimes we have these ideas that we want to execute on, um, but it's way better to have something physical that you've built. And even if that thing is small and low resolution and doesn't look at all like the final show, if you've built something, you know so much more um, than if you just have a concept. And the idea being that this, the process when it works right is really empowering. So what you, what you try and do is you have some kind of distant vision and then you say, okay, what is the thing that I know the least about that's the biggest risk to this vision? And what is the simplest thing I can build that will make me smarter about that thing that I don't know about? Um, and so if, you're, if, if that process is working well, then you build, so like for instance, in our situation, it was just, hey, can we repeatedly control something that's spinning through the air? Can we repeatedly change its, uh, change its uh, spin rate? And so that's where we built the brick. Uh, so we could do that. And, um, and then we're like, well, eventually we want to have it be something that has limbs probably. We're a company that builds characters, so we don't want to just have like tubes with weights moving around in them. Um, so let's, what, what changes if we now have, you know, the internal rotation of these limbs moving? And so we built that stick, um, the, the two by four, and then we got more refined versions of that. Then there were questions about actuation, power density, questions about how close you could do the sensing, how well you could track the motion, and all of those, you just build something. And it's amazing how, you know, you can, even if you build something and it's not right, you learn so much more than if you just take, if you just like tried to go through theoretically and, and figure out what you needed to do. And so those kind of iterative prototypes, that's kind of the biggest lesson. What we also learned along the way, though, is that, um, well, for instance, like the, uh, there was like at one point there was a, a robot that was just three aluminum sticks that would bend together, look kind of like a Z. Um, and this robot, uh, when it, um, when we threw it through the air, it, uh, it would crash, like we, sometimes we would drop it, we would crash landed on these foam mats. And if it landed funny, I'd be like, Ooh, like I would feel bad for it. <laughs> and, um, and that was like a good, that was a good learning that wasn't a technical learning necessarily, but it was an important creative learning that like, oh, I already have empathy for this object that really looks nothing like a human being, but when it's going through the air and it's tucking and it looks like it has intention about how it's spinning, it does start to develop a little bit of a character and when it hurts, you hurt. Um, so that was kind of a nice insight like you, that you could see the uh, the creative um, conceit being functional uh, as well as the technical conceit. So you learn stuff like that along the way. Wow. So like every time each stage you, whether or not things work, you're going to learn something for the next prototype. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. You learn how not to do it and how, and you learn uh, what the really tricky parts are. And I think a lot of times I will say that um, probably one of the best things about prototyping is, and I would say this is true just, I like, I think prototyping is a great way to approach life. You just try and start something out and see how it works. Um, and I think uh, a lot of times what we think will be the hard part isn't hard. And what we think will be easy turns out to be quite difficult. 
And so, and you don't know until you actually get into it. And it's wonderful. What the, the great thing is, is sometimes a really tough technical problem. If you find a place where you're making, where you build a prototype and it just works, you know, you're onto something fun because sometimes you find these kind of rich loads of things where it's just, it's just working and working and working. You haven't hit the problem yet. And you chase those as far as you can until you get to the point where you smack up against the big technical hurdle. And then you chip away at that. But it's like those moments are always so much fun to be like, oh, this is working. This is working faster than I thought. This is working better than I thought. And then you run up against the technical challenge, and then that's fun too because you, you bring to bear all that you can and see if you can solve it or if you can come at it from a different angle. But um, anyway, I think that, that I think prototyping and just trying something out is a good way. I, I feel like it's a philosophy of life. Like I'll try that out with, uh, you know, with friendships. <laughs> All of this prototyping, so it's built up to your current model, which, like you said, like the movements are really realistic. It looks like a character. So I read that you were in part inspired by the gymnast Simone Biles, and we had mentioned like the actions are similar to a figure skater, but how has her athleticism or that of any other human model kind of carried over, and where is it seen in the robot's movement? Right. Yeah. So what I mean, I think ultimately people are amazing sources of inspiration and there's this amazing athleticism that goes on that allows us to even kind of conceive of these ideas of backflips, front flips and twists and uh, cartwheels. And um, the cool thing, I would say that we definitely drew inspiration from gymnasts and actually we ended up having uh, on our team at one point, um, we had a uh, he's actually, he joined our team as a, a net specialist, but his background is in, uh, he was a uh, trapeze performer in the circus uh, oh. for many years. And um, the fun thing was, oh, probably the intersection of those two worlds of my uh, dynamics, physics, computer science world, and this, um, the, the artistic, gymnastic, uh, acrobatic world. Um, was this book I read uh, called Twisting Somersaults. It's a guy named Fred Yeadon spent, his, spent 40 years of his academic life studying twisting somersaults. And he, uh, he wrote a book. You get it, you print it one at a time from Amazon. And I got it. I read the whole thing. I don't know how many other people have read the whole thing, but I did. It was extremely relevant for me. <laughs> and um, it's, he basically talked, uh, that book was extremely valuable because he'd spent 40 years studying the ways that, you know, the, the things we talked about, you know, this kind of this subtle arm motion producing a twist, like that stuff that Fred, uh, that uh, Dr. Eden had really dug into and, and, uh, and written equations that made sense and, and helped me to understand how we could go about it as a, as a robotics team. And so we would, what would happen is uh, I would go through using simulation, using the prototypes and develop, um, ways that I would achieve uh, certain moves. And then um, it was great because our uh, trapeze specialists uh, would, would watch us doing, would launch, watch us launching the robot and said, say, uh, if I were doing this, I would, I would do a little bit more of a kick here or an arch there. And it was fun to see how you kind of got to the same conclusion coming from a very scientific mathematic uh, simulation-based uh, frame and how you got, uh, and from a very acrobatic, acrobatic traditional um, performance-based frame, we'd kind of converge on the same idea. So it's fun to see, like, you know, he, he observed, like, he would observe us doing something like, are you trying to get 
more backflip and be like, no, I'm trying to get rid of backflip. Like, oh, good, because that's what you're doing. And, uh, and so it was fun to see how um, these kind of two worlds of thought, which seem like very, very, very different philosophically, end up producing, end up coming to the same truth about how you produce cool shows. Wow. Yeah, so just everybody's training just kind of comes together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's super neat. I, and I think, you know, like um, it was something where I found it very valuable when I had something that I thought worked from the math to have someone who had an intuition for it from performing to be able to say, yeah, that makes sense to me too. Oh, yeah, confirming it. And then lastly, just to finish us off, so being an Imagineer, at least to me, is such a cool job. I remember when I was younger, I had friends who, when asked, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? They would always answer, become an Imagineer, and that's how I heard about it. Um, so to help somebody who's, let's say, really interested in robots or in science, or for those kids who dream of becoming Imagineers, um, what guided or helped you to get to the job you have today? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, so I came to engineering kind of late. Uh, I, I didn't start doing engineering until I didn't even start studying it until my junior year of college. I didn't work in the lab until after my junior year. I took a few years, I took five years in graduate school before I actually got a job engineering. And I would just say that, uh, so for me, I, I would say, I would say that uh, I think maybe there's a lesson there, which is that where you end up isn't always the thing you plan from the beginning. And that's completely fine. That's, that's probably best. I would say that you don't necessarily want to be living the dream that you had when you were 17, because when you were 17, you weren't as smart as you are now. And like that dream might not be actually that great, right? Like you're, you're, you should feel fully authored. You should feel fully authorized to create a new dream as you go along. And I guess I would only say that uh, it's just important. I would say it's important to prototype and pay attention. So if you're, for instance, like I, when I started engineering, I thought it would be cool to work in a robotics lab. So I did, I went and did a summer internship in a robotics lab and that's a way to prototype it and to actually see what are people really doing um, with this degree? What are people really doing in their daily lives? Do I like it? Because, um, something that sounds great on the surface cannot match you. I just a little bit of a tangent, like growing up, I wanted to be a paleontologist. I still think that's a super cool career. But as I understood, as I got into more of what paleontologists actually do on the day to day and realized that it wasn't fighting velociraptors, <laughs> I kind of realized that I wasn't going to be a good paleontologist because I didn't enjoy the kind of day to day activities of paleontology. You can enjoy the concept of something, but what's actually happening on the day-to-day? And so I would say prototype, get, get experience in what you think you want to do and find out if it's really what you want to do. And then the other thing I would say is that regardless of where you end up, I think the most important parts of your job are what you bring to it and the people that you work with. And so w- even if you don't get what you, I'd say that even if you don't get exactly the job that you were aiming for as a kid, you can get something that's much, much better than what you're aiming for. If you pay attention to the things you're doing, if they, if they light you up or not, and you pay attention to the people you're working with. And if you find good people to work with, then you're going to be, you're going to be really blessed by your, by your life. And that's one of my favorite things about working at Disney is that I came here as my first job out of, uh, 
out of school and uh, just to be surrounded by really talented people. We, I got a chance for a little while to work with uh, Grant Imahara when he was uh, contracting here and uh, to learn from, and then there's amazing older Imagineers, uh, new interns, people I'm learning from all the time. That, the richness and the depth of experience and creativity and uh, technical ability has been a phenomenal internship here. And just seeing how people are able to design things, build things, deliver things, that's been the, the best part of my job, has been learning from and working with amazing, incredible people. Wow, that's wonderful. I love that. Um, so that wraps us up, actually. Thank you so much, Morgan, for joining us today. That, that was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And then make sure to be on the lookout for more from Sci Section.